Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. My name is Eric Klein. And I'm Jennifer Waits. And today, this is an episode of Radio Survivor where we're diving in to the history of radio, the beginnings, but in a roundabout and very strange way. We're joined on the line by our guest, Pamela Clausen, professor of the study of religion in the Faculty of Arts and Sciences at, in the University of Toronto. Thanks for joining us today on the show. Thank you for welcoming me to the radio. And you wrote... The Story of Radio Mind, A Missionary's Journey on Indigenous Land. The Story of Radio Mind. Pamela Clausen, what is the story of Radio Mind? Well, I have to start by saying it's not the story of Radiohead, which many people uh, <laughs> ask me that question. Uh, and I'm sorry to just disappoint you <laughs> if that was the goal. Wrong show. Um, Basically, uh, the story of Radio Mind is the story of how this uh, very unusual Anglican missionary who ended up becoming the Anglican Archbishop of the province of British Columbia in, in Canada in the early 20th century, his name was Frederick Duvernay, how by the end of his life, he went from becoming a really evangelical Christian kind of conservative traditionalist in all kinds of ways to by the end of his life writing uh, newspaper articles both in church newspapers and in you know the Montreal newspapers the Vancouver newspapers about this thing that he called radio mind or spiritual radio which was basically a kind of Christian theology of telepathy that we could communicate with each other through radio waves that course through the universe and that are actually God's divine love and energy and we can just pull on them and communicate telepathically and then achieve all kinds of world healing in the the midst of doing that wow (laughs) and how how did he connect that with the radio radio is something that comes to my radio mind initially yeah um, well, it's pretty interesting because he he's really coming up with this idea in, around the beginning of the, the 1920s. Uh, so, you know, radio has been invented. People will know that there is this thing, you know, being able to communicate uh, long distance, voice to voice across the miles, across the oceans. People know, you know, that this is possible, but not that many people have actual radio sets, that they called them in the day. Um, And there aren't a lot of radio stations as we know them now. Um, So he's really taking uh, a a new technology and imagining all kinds of spiritual possibilities with it. And of course, radio is not uh, unique in this way. You know, people do this with the internet or worried about television, people worried about the telegraph in the 19th century and, mm-hmm. and what kind of uh, spiritual communications could kind of, kind of come up with uh, other kinds of new technologies. I think radio is really special, though, uh, in this way, because it is an, at once really, you know, it's, it's voices communicating across distance, but it's also so profoundly intimate, right? It's a voice right in your ear. Um, and it, it uh, he really thought that... Um, Radio waves, yes, they're out there in the universe, but they actually come into our bodies, uh, and that's what really makes them so spiritually powerful, in his view. And and did he have any sort of scientific background? How would he explain this scientifically? 
Well, that's a really interesting point, too, because he definitely did understand himself as a scientist and thought that he was conducting experiments uh, with radio waves, with telepathy, as a sort of psychologist. It's important to remember that in the early 20th century, the line between psychology and psychic research or even sort of philosophy and and a kind of uh, theological thinking, those lines were a lot blurrier than they are now. Um, But he, one of the most amazing things, really one of the most important sources for me in coming to be able to tell the story of Radio Mind was when I finally made it out to um, Prince Rupert, which is sort of the northwest corner of British Columbia, like next stop, Alaska, uh, just to get you, give you a sense of, of where it is. Um, it's right on the right on the coast. Hmm. Um, he's up there. That's where he's the the archbishop and the the bishop of a diocese that Anglicans called Caledonia. Um, and once I got to the archives there, which were in the church basement uh, of the Prince Rupert Cathedral, which is a pretty modest um, white clapboard church, uh, in the basement I came across uh, this set of glass shelves that had was filled with books, and the archivist told me, oh yeah, that was his library. And so very excitedly, um, I start looking through this you know, shelf of dusty books. Some of them are clearly were were not his because they were published after he died in 1924. Mm. Um, but many of them are by what were you know leading psychologists and philosophers of the mind of the day, like William James, um, Josiah Royce, um, Henri Bergson, who some people might know of now because everyone's excited about him again because of some theories that scholars call new materialism and vitalism about sort of you know the the vitality of matter. Uh, and so uh, this guy, Frederick Duvernay, was reading all of these scientists writing in the margins and pointing out when he had already discovered some things that these uh, uh, scientists were talking about. So someone like William James actually wrote about telepathy. He didn't call it radio mind, um, but he did say, yeah, there is a possibility of mind communicating with mind um, without actual words. Um, so he sort of takes this um, genre of uh, kind of science of the mind, a kind of cognitive science in the early 20th century, uh, and mixes it with some Christian theology, a lot of Paul, the Apostle Paul, and who has a very sort of spiritual understanding of how how people communicate, uh, and then mixes it with radio. And uh, he th- finds that a very helpful not even just metaphor. Like it's not like he's saying, "Yeah, the mind is like a radio." He's saying radio waves are actually God's divine energy, and we can use them for good. And does that, for him, does that ever intersect into a radio set? So could you, yes. you know, you talk about mm-hmm. his experiments. So mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. Well, I want to hear more about so that. He, he uh, from what I have, one reference that says he did have a, a radio set. So that means he was quite an early adopter, right? Because um, we're talking a, about the we're talking about roughly nineteen twenty to nineteen twenty four, which yeah. is which is a hundred years ago, and the the beginning <laughs> of radio broadcasting in the world, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this man uh, Frederick Duvernay there. Um, at where you've described him sort of uh, sounds like a bit like the end of the world as far as um, some mm-hmm. some people would consider it uh, 
Some people call it the edge of the world,、yeah. which I think is a, a nicer way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. but it's a really, it's a really powerful place. It's a very important indigenous space.、Yeah. The Haida they are there, the Tsimshian are there, the Niska are there.、Um, it's a really, I mean, it's. A, I recommend that everyone go to visit yeah, it. Yeah, sounds it's beautiful. Such a beautiful part of the world.、Uh, but yeah, yeah he's use, really use the word wild to describe it, but that's also、uh, right. not not ideal. Like it's.、Um, I just want to say. Uh, uh, Unspoiled again, hard to、mm-hmm. hard to come up with the right adjective without、mm-hmm. uh, without putting putting a weird frame on it. But yeah, he, but he's out there in a, and it's a、he's、small it's a very small town at this time, or is it even smaller than a small yeah?、Town? It's a pretty small town.、Um, he's out there、um, at a pretty important. I mean, when he first gets there, which is in 1904,、um, there are no、uh, white settled. Towns there,、okay. uh, there are um, indigenous uh, uh, settlements, indigenous um, villages, uh, many of them,、um, but there are no actual、um, sort of Canadian colonial cities.、Wow. And so, we、we'll、definitely、um, want to talk more about about the people that、uh, Frederick Duvernay interacted with when he got there,、yeah. the indigenous、uh, First Nations people there、yeah. in in Canada. But and also what Frederick du-、uh, Frederick Duvernay what his role was as far as the church goes,、mm-hmm. um, which is a, a very complex history. But we're talking right now about、uh, the radio set that he may have been playing、mm-hmm. with and the、mm-hmm. thoughts he had about radio. So probably one of the ways he got the radio set was because、uh, by around 1913, the railway came to Prince Rupert, which all of a sudden. You know, made it boom as a town in terms of people、um, being able to get there more easily, and not just you know by taking a boat up from、uh, Vancouver or Seattle or some some other place.、Uh, so they, it became a railway town.、Um, he there is there is a sort of、uh, a radio enthusiast, a local radio enthusiast that、uh, a scholar named Maureen Atkinson has. Written a whole history of early radio in Prince Rupert, and、um, there's a young young man whose name was Clarence. Uh oh, I'm going to forget his last name now. But、um, Clarence is busy tinkering with radio sets and trying to figure out.、Uh, How it works, and he's he's doing these little tests that you know young men, young boy, teenage boys were doing、mm-hmm. all across North America,、um, where he sets up a, a radio set and tries to play his. I think he played the violin, and he's trying to get you know,、um, transmit his violin playing from one house to another with his radio sets, and he's you know being very successful.、Um, and so a whole there's a growing.、Um, Sort of radio subculture、uh, in Prince Rupert, and clearly Frederick Duvernay、uh, gets in on it in terms of buying himself a radio set. But I don't have any evidence that he was actually sort of a tinkerer、um, or sort of in, in that sort of、uh, in that way.、Um, his experiments were <laughs> largely done with his daughter, who was、uh, a young woman who who lived in Prince Rupert with her、um, parents. Um, and they would 
at first be maybe in different rooms and then in different um, houses in Prince Rupert. And then eventually they did experiments where he was in Vancouver and she was in um, Prince Rupert, which is, you know, a, a long ways away um, from each other down, uh, uh, down the coast, the northwest coast. And uh, he, one of them would concentrate on sending uh, just a letter through their minds uh, to the other one. And the way it worked in their understanding was the, the receiver, the human receiver, mm-hmm. had to just relax their mind. And then they would, the, their muscles would start twitching in just the right way so that they were, um, they were holding a pencil with a um, string on it and maybe a key or a, or a coin or something, something heavy to keep the string down. And then they had in front of them uh, a piece of paper, very low tech, a piece of paper that had a, a chevroy pendulum on it, which is basically like a big fan, like a, a, an opened up fan. And they had um, letters sectioned, sectioned off the fan and there's different letters in each uh, section and wherever the pendulum would sort of um, uh, move, whichever letter the pendulum would move on top of, that was the letter that was being sent from afar through Radio Mind. So it, was it a sounds very, like a Ouija board. It's <laughs> totally like a Ouija board. It's a very, very slow way to communicate, but um, they did feel like they had, you know, proof of spiritual radio, of Radio Mind through this mechanism Uh and what's so i mean people are doing this all over the place right but what's so fascinating is this archbishop you know a churchman someone decides uh that he 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 writes it all up and in very like proud uh prose that they prove that this power and that this power um you know, could be used in so many ways for good. And his articles get published in the church newspapers. They get published in the Montreal Daily Star. They get published in the Vancouver uh, Sun. And people start taking it up um, uh, south of the border as well. After he dies, uh, there's a a book published called Spiritual Radio in the States, Hmm. uh, uh, edited by a guy named Gaynor Banks, who was himself a a Christian um, man. Uh, And so, like, people take it up and and they... are, are excited about it, um, it which sounds, is what really fascinated me. It sounds a little bit like, um, like to me, like the like the beginnings of what I would call New Ageism. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, as a scholar of religion, I wouldn't say it's the beginnings of it, but <laughs> yeah, it's definitely <laughs> um, it's definitely part of that uh, a, a new thought uh, kind of um, idea where like. People are just really fascinated in the early 20th century about the power of the mind uh, and what it can do. And I think technological um, metaphors or even sort of the power of technology just enhances that fascination, right? And so the radio, if you really think about it, like, yeah, books convey the mind of the author to you, right, through the mm-hmm. words. Um, but the words are kind of fixed on the page. There's something about the immediacy and the intimacy of the voice on the radio that I think um, must have made people who were, you know, hearing it for the first time just really, really amazed uh, at the power uh, of that kind of communication. So he was, so he was doing these experiments uh, with 
the pendulum and the pencil, the Ouija mm-hmm. board like apparatus. And uh, and it's interesting since he had a radio set at hand. It, did you find any evidence of him trying to use the radio set to communicate? I did not. Um which is is kind of interesting. Like uh yeah. the only I mean it's 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 really one brief reference where someone said he did have a radio set, but I didn't actually find any of his own writings talking about uh having a radio. Um you know, I did find references in the uh, Prince Rupert um, daily newspaper about, you know, announcements about, of when a big uh, sort of wireless uh, transmitter receiver is arrives in town and is, is largely at that point used for um, communicating about um, the movement of boats, you know, when a boat is coming to the harbor and, uh, and, and, and transmitting between boats like ship to shore uh, radio. That's what that's what it was largely used for um, in the early uh, 20th century. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, he, he and it, I, I do, I guess I should sort of emphasize again that it's really, it, it isn't just that he's using it as a metaphor. Uh, he's saying that uh, radio waves, which are these waves that, you know, we know are out there, are a form of, of God's energy. And it's really up to us to sort of pull on them uh, and use them in different ways um, through our own our own uh, bodies and spirits, I guess hmm. you would say. That's interesting. Any, any is, that, is, that, hmm. is that uncommon in organized religion for, for, um, for, for people to, to sort of pull on pull in new technology and and try to incorporate it into into the into the religion's teachings. Mhm. I don't think it's unusual um it's certainly not unusual to um use new technologies instrumentally. Yeah. Um, I know you've uh, talked to Lerone Martin about, you know, his his work on preaching on wax and the and the role of um uh, African American ministers and, and their sermons, uh, recording their sermons um, on uh, vinyl, and distributing um, and distributing their sermons over vinyl because, uh, in part, because they had less access to the airwaves than their white counterparts did back in the beginning of the twentieth century. And we also talked exactly. with Lerone Martin a lot about um, we we slipped into a little bit of a, a side a side conversation that was very exciting to us about the. Um, about some uh, Los Angeles area uh, preachers in the early days of radio that were, um, you know, in a lot of ways sort of, uh, uh, again, first, I'll use the word first because I'm a podcaster, not an academic, Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways the first uh, (laughs) televangelists, you know, um, preachers using the radio to to get big, to get rich and and Mm -hmm. spread the gospel uh, as they saw it. Um, That was a fun that, that was oh, that reminds me, actually, that um, uh, one of the ways that so, so when Spiritual Radio gets published as this little book mm-hmm. um, in 1925. Frederick um, DuVernay's book, Spiritual, yes. what's it, what was the book called? Titled? Spiritual Radio, Frederick DuVernay's book, Spiritual uh-huh. Radio, published after his death oh. uh, in 1925. Um, and uh, the guy who edits it is a, is a guy named Gaynor Banks. And in the, the foreword to the book, he says, you know, it's kind of like Amy Semple McPherson, you know, who, uses the, who uses the radio to, like, spread the news. But he is not, that, that is not what he is doing. He is not, like, you know, he's not a, a celebrity radio preacher. This is like a real, like, 
theology, science of, of the mind kind of approach to radio. So, so in another recent episode, we had talked to Amanda Don Christie about she's a an artist who has been fascinated by radio and has done mm-hmm. a lot of really interesting projects. And um, in a similar landscape, it sounds like to the where Frederick Duvernay was um, yeah, was thinking yeah, recently, his big thoughts. Amanda Don Christie recently, was up in Alaska. In Alaska. Oh, oh, interesting. And and there were. So a lot of the themes that have been woven through her pieces have dealt with with ghosts and and spirits and we talked to her a bit about that and she mentioned kind of this long standing in, in popular culture in the popular imagination there's this long standing connection between radio waves and spirits so I was hoping you could give us a bit of a historical perspective on on why when here's an example from a TV show that I really liked frequency. That was a show where a character communicated with her dead father through a ham radio. Mm -hmm. So it was like time travel and speaking with the dead and, you know, poltergeist, you have ghosts speaking through televisions. So, uh, it, you know, it's a common trope, um, speaking through, through these waves and I'd love to know more about the origins of that, if, mm-hmm. if you can tell us, and, mm-hmm. and how that intersected with religion and spirituality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, I think this is, uh, I will get back to the radio, but um, I think there is something about different forms of communication that um, really is incredibly productive for people trying to come to grips with what what does it mean to uh, have a spiritual connection whether it's to a god or a spirit or someone who's dead or people's whose bodies you can't see right and how do forms of communication help us like verify that we're truly having a real experience i think that's one of the things that people um especially in uh north american context the context of spiritualism um as a sort of 19th century movement and then you know onward um people on the one hand they really wanted to have these experiences of being able to speak with the dead i mean it's not a it's not a um coincidence that that their spiritualism gets very popular after uh terrible wars like after the civil war after world war one there are these real strong um you know uh recurrences of 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 people's interest in spiritualism and i guess you know radio mind is kind of part of that because 1920 is not that long after um the end of uh world war one yeah where Um, not only did any so many people die from the war but there was also a really um severe flu pandemic that that killed exactly that killed i Mm -hmm. don't know the number but Enough yeah. to really traumatize yeah. the population that was left yeah. over. So yeah. yeah, they'd be all they'd all be thinking about somebody they'd lost. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so uh, one another form of this kind of spiritual communication is uh, what's called automatic writing, right. where people would wait not for the voices of spirits, but for um, the voices just I guess sort of to come through their heads, and they would write out what the spirits were saying. And actually, a lot of people like to do. Uh, William James, they like to, you know, receive the thoughts of William James and write them out in, in automatic writing. He's a very popular figure hmm. for, <laughs> Interesting. for people looking for the spirits. To, partly because he was so fascinated by it with himself, fascinated by questions spiritual himself. So I think he's he's seen as a kind of sympathetic soul. Um, 
I think there's something about the 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 radio. Um, I think because Frederick Duvernay is so such an early adopter of the of the spiritual radio, there's less of that. Um, uh, a longer, less of a longer tradition of the scratchy radio where you can make out the voice, or um, and it's certainly long before the you know kind of thing you'd see in the movie Contact, where we're we're using the radio to to um, connect with the extraterrestrials right. and whatever. But oh, there is point. this real, really strong uh, sense that the radio somehow is actually able to. Um, convey voices to us that our, our uh, unaided ear uh, won't be able to mm. hear. So it becomes this kind of spiritual technology of sort. Obviously not for everyone, yeah. but there is still something... I mean, people love radio for 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 really... Um, I think for the same kind of reason that it does it does feel like it yeah. has an intimacy to it that television doesn't, and it leaves something to it, the imagination, right? right? Pamela Pamela Clausen, professor of the study of religion at the University of Toronto, was talking about Archbishop Frederick Duvernay, who was working and writing out in um, where I, what I would call extreme Northwest Canada, and we're all, and you wrote a book about Duvernay. The book is titled "The Story of Radio Mind," and it's funny that you were talking about sort of um, how radio inspires. Uh, to me, what I heard you saying was that, oh, and you're listening to Radio Survivor, and my name is Eric Klein, and with <laughs> me is Jennifer Waits. And, you know, here on Radio Survivor, this is a unique, this is like a, um, this is a, a different kind of episode, although I'm going to make uh, an argument right now that this episode of Radio Survivor actually is um, it's, it's bringing a lot of new themes uh, themes that we have talked about in the past on the show and part of it is that i think we have sort of been on radio survivor in the nearly 200 episodes of the show striving for an understanding of community radio that uh to me listening to you talk about um about some of the you know the philosophical aspects of of religion and this new technology i think that we do think of radio a little bit as um a, a, a kind of secular spiritual community like that people mm. that people connect with one another uh, through their voices on the radio through communities that are built around radio stations um, th- you know I there's a the community that I think of as our audience for Radio Survivor are people uh, who are a part of a kind of religion uh, you know we're all radio people we meet each other in conferences we find each other online and there's a there's really an immediate kind of weird uh, kinship and connection so it's 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 stretching things but it's stretching things in a way that i think is uh is exciting and i'm glad we're talking about it today and um geez that's that, can i that's say my something comment. in response to that i think i can. think that's uh, <laughs> that's that's um a really interesting way of putting it i mean i i come from canada where you know the canadian broadcasting corporation and the radio version of it you know many people uh, deeply love it and have a sense that it's really important to national identity. And of course, you know, radio can be important to to national identity. Can be important to smaller communities, for good and and for ill. But I do think there is something about um, radio as a medium that um, that many people are very attracted to. In part because, like, it's a it's you know the the decline of radio has been you know 
predicted by people for for so many uh, years, mm-hmm. but it doesn't actually go away despite yes. these other technologies that okay. come about, right? The main radio we, is eternal. Yeah, I think I'll let Jennifer uh, do the radio survivor. Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, what's it? Right. Every ten episodes on Radio Survivor, we sort of make the same speech about radio. Radio is <laughs> not dead. Yeah, yeah. radio's right. death has been declared exactly uh, numerous times. Yeah. Well, yeah, the industry perhaps maybe in decline, but yeah, radio radio is thriving in mm-hmm. many forms, and uh, and that's a great part about the show is looking at how radio touches so many different aspects of our life and mm-hmm, religion yeah. and art. And so that's why it's exciting to have you on as well to. Yeah kind of expand our understanding of what is our imagination of radio and of course if paul reesmandel was here he would help us with the with the facts and the figures but uh, it, it's it's currently uh, when people study radio audiences it's still um near the biggest or one or the still main you know people listen to radio every day even the people that mm-hmm. uh, uh, are more excited about their phones um they're still there's still a lot of radio going on in people's heads. And mm-hmm. uh, if the internet takes over and the terrestrial radio wanes, um, we argue that it's still radio. Though people talking right. into microphones, communicating with one mm-hmm. another, enjoying music or sharing ideas, um, it's, all, it's all a form of radio, even if we call it mm-hmm. uh, something new. And we probably won't call you know, the word podcasts might go out of style. We might just keep, keep the word radio as the means of transmission. Uh, well, I like Pamela. I'm for that. I like that you said radio is eternal. Did you have? Yeah. Did we cut you off? Did you have another? Uh, no. Another. That's just what say? I believe. I mean, my kids listen to the radio now too. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. they did, first had to do it because uh, their parents just, you know, it was in the air, literally. Um, but now they do so sort of willingly, and they also, you know, listen to podcasts. But I think there is something about, um, and then podcasts are often, you know things that were on the radio first and we're just yeah. you know listening to um podcasts of the radio so there i mean i think people like thinking with voices uh and not always having images uh coming through their eyes there's something about thinking with voices without the images that i think is is i mean here i'm getting a bit over the top perhaps but it, that is in some ways more uh liberating yeah well Pamela Clausen, we're talking about your book and that you wrote about Frederick Duvernay, who um, mm-hmm. at some point in his life becomes the Archbishop. He becomes the Archbishop of British Columbia. So at first he was the Bishop of Caledonia, which is, you know, like 200,000 square miles in northwest uh, British Columbia, which is big enough in and of itself. Uh-huh. It is on, I need to say, unceded indigenous territory. Yeah. So there were no treaties uh, signed between indigenous nations and the um, Canadian government or earlier the British, the colony of British Columbia for complicated reasons that I won't go into. But it means that this was truly unceded land. There were no treaties. Um, and But the, the Dominion of Canada was quite convinced that it was his uh, and the Anglican Church of Canada um, declared uh, had, had these dioceses that they they named for Caledonia was a Scottish name, um, and then they also had the the bigger um, um, area of British Columbia, of which he became the Archbishop in. Uh, oh, I'm going to forget all of a sudden. I think it was in uh, 1913. Mm. It might so, have been 1914. And so what? What was Frederick Duvernay's relationship with the First Nations peoples who um, – did they live in the same 
village? Where mm-hmm. did he interact with them on a regular basis? Mm-hmm. So when he uh, first got to Prince Rupert, there was no Prince Rupert. Like literally, the, there was no name, no, no place named that, and there was no town. And he was living in um, uh, a Tsimshan uh, town called Metlakatla. Uh, and all of the people around him were Tsimshan or Haida or Niska, um, different uh, indigenous uh, groups from the area. Um, and many, there were many missionaries who had been there before him, uh, and many of the people that he interacted with um, were themselves Christian uh, already, um, Christian indigenous people, um, but not all of them. Um, and what that meant for them to be Christian didn't mean that they were Canadian. They were still very strongly arguing for their land rights. He gets there at a time uh, that's called that they many indigenous uh, people have organized in what they call the Indian land movement at the time, and they're really um, arguing strongly that you know they have never uh, signed treaties with the government, and it is their land. Uh, it's also the time when the government is deciding that they're going to um, uh, divide up the uh, indigenous people into re- into smaller and smaller reserves, uh, and so it's a very active um, uh, political conflict uh, between uh, various indigenous nations uh, and um, the Canadian government and the missionaries are kind of interestingly uh, placed uh, largely on the side of the government, but sometimes on the side of the indigenous people that mm. they've um, that they're living with. So I have a chapter in the book on the printing press, which kind of leads up to the radio chapter in which I talk about how um, missionaries, a particular missionary brings a, a printing press to the Niska nation, which is just a little bit inland from um, the coast. And while the missionary wanted the printing press there for publishing biblical tracts and that sort of thing. Um, the Niska young men, who actually are the ones who learn how to use the printing press because the missionary doesn't know how to use it, um, are printing uh, protests against white settlers that are literally yeah. called like the protest wow. against white settlers. So um, it's a really very active um, indigenous sovereignty movement and the missionaries are are in the middle of it and they're literally helping to mediate it with their Mm. printing press and with frederick duvernay um what Mm -hmm. what do we know about how he interacted with that with that moment that political movement of of resistance Right. So that's actually, for me, that's kind of the, the, one of the underlying keys to the story of Radio Mind. Like, I'm, I'm just in and of itself fascinated by how this uh, archbishop came to such an unusual theological, technical imagination, because it was very unusual. Right. And again, for listeners that he wasn't kicked out of the church. For for listeners that are just joining us, it was this uh, concept that the archbishop invented called Radio Mind that was basically that, uh, uh, radio was God's uh, technology for uh, transmitting psychic thoughts. Can yeah, I say that? Pretty nicely said. Yeah. Yes. Um, but then the the question for me is like I I know he had had um, earlier interactions with uh, Ojibwe Anishinaabe people uh, in what people now call Northwestern Ontario, the area of the Rainy River, Treaty 3 territory. Um, and I have a diary that where he talks about that. But then I also knew that he had a lot of interaction with Niska and uh, Tsimshin and, and Haida people. And they have their own uh, understandings of spiritual communication and how, um, particularly how um, like powerful spiritual leaders, sometimes called shamans, how they um, could 
also do the work of a, a kind of spiritual telepathy um, uh, themselves. They didn't need any radios to do it. They, you know, they did it through their own their own bodies mm. and through other kinds of tools, drums and that kind of thing. Um, so I knew that he he was aware of this. Um, it was very. It was I wasn't able to fully, you know, get best source that could show me here is the line from A to B, how radio mind was influenced by indigenous theories and and theologies of spiritual communication. But there are a few times where he reflects on, he gives a bunch of different examples of how, um, how telepathy works. Some of them are, you know, when you're sleeping, you might dream something or a mother gets awoken in the middle of the night when she, at the very moment where her son is killed in world war one, you know, that Mm. kind of, um, uh, transfer um, or more prosaic example uh, a wife really wants her her minister or husband to pick up some milk on the way home and she doesn't you know have the ability to phone him but she just kind of thinks about it and he met he does it and he calls these telepathic testimonies he's collected these stories that people send him and he tells one of his own where his his son is lying dying in a hospital and he sends the thought to his son that he must survive for the sake of his family and his son revives he also tells a story of how the niska who live up a, a river inland from um what people now call Prince Rupert, um, had a very important message that they had to get to the Tsimshin, who lived in that place called Metlakatla I was telling you about. Um, and they manage, uh, someone is going down to, going down the river to, to um, transfer the thought, but they find the, the message. But when they get there, they find the message is already there. So telepathy was at play uh, in, you know, in, in sharing this message between um, uh, the two indigenous groups. Hmm. And there he sort of ventures into the area that many anthropologists, in, especially in the early 20th century, you know, they, they talked about this very problematic concept of the primitive mind mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that, you know, people were, uh, um, indigenous people were somehow less advanced than um, uh, European people or white settlers. And so he kind of goes there a little bit and saying, yeah, this is, this, this, this is a sort of primitive capacity for... Um, for a kind of telepathic thought, but but that uh, really it's actually very, he doesn't use, quite use the word advanced, but he says it's a very powerful way of communicating and we should not disparage it just because it is, you know, something that we don't understand. Hmm. Uh, so, he, you know, he, I don't want to paint him as, you know, a colonial hero because that's not what he was, but he clearly was open. He, he was, he had some sympathy and some kind of just real openness to thinking about thought in different ways. So why he then transfers this to the, um, not just to the metaphor of radio, but to the idea that radio waves are what is actually making telepathy happen, I don't really have the full answer to it, but it's, it is this mix of, of what he's seeing around him with indigenous um, spiritual practitioners, shamans, who you know are, are, are doing this kind of um, thought transmission in their own way. And it's also coming out of his reading of people like William James and Ari Bergson, and it's also coming out of what he sees happening with these radios that are coming uh, that are coming to town. You, Pamela Clausen, you mentioned that some of the indigenous people, uh, the ways in which they use modern technology like the printing press to, you know, to print their own protest literature. I'm curious how they were using 
radio, how they're using the new radio sets that were appearing on the scene? That is a great question that I do not have the answer to. Yeah, I wonder if, um, it, I wonder if it comes later because um, we've had some tantalizing yeah. hints that future episodes of Radio Survivor will have to, uh, will have to find the answers. But we, we know that there is, a, there is such a thing. Was it, is it called native radio in Canada? Is that accurate? That there's that uh, that we we learned on a recent episode that there are um, there are there's radio going on in the First Nations uh, communities in Canada. Oh, for sure, yeah. We, mm-hmm. one, yeah. The, the only tantalizing and kind of unhelpful fact that we learned is there's a lot of radio bingo because it's uh, oh amazing. Yeah, because it's yeah. because it doesn't violate any sort of uh, laws the way it might in the United States. In part because uh, the First Nations people. Uh, say that it's their nation and they can do what they want with right. their radio station, including fundraising with bingo. But uh, well, and that fascinating, the, yeah. and that the radio waves are actually not governed. Yeah, <laughs> uh huh. They anyway. belong to. So that, yeah. that's that, a, that, no, I think the whole idea of of radio waves and governance and who owns them and who doesn't own them. I mean, you, I mean, I'm sure you've done stuff on like pirate radio and all this kind of stuff, but they're they're really this very. Um, in some ways, very ungovernable uh, force, even though, you know, there are many, many, many attempts to, to yeah. govern them. And in some cases, um, it's religious broadcasters that really brought the state to want to start governing them. There's people who've done very interesting work on, on that aspect of religion and radio, but that's later than my, later than my story. So yeah, for I, in, in terms of the, you know, what was going on in like 1923 and 1924, I don't actually, um, I can't answer that question, but, um, I, I have read, uh, as the woman I was talking about before, Maureen Atkinson, who wrote her whole dissertation on radio in, uh, in this area. Um, I haven't read the final dissertation, but maybe she has something to say mm. about it. Good idea. And, for well, and from days. another, from another angle, as you were talking about, as you're talking about Patrick DuVernay's experiments with, it's almost like a mashup of automatic writing and Ouija mm-hmm. boards where he's saying that radio waves is the way that people are communicating. Um, it gets me thinking about, fears about things like Ouija boards and I remember when I was a kid hearing a psychic talking about Ouija boards being an instrument of the devil and that you should not play with a Ouija board because it could let the devil in so I'm curious if you have run across writing about how how religious folks were understanding radio and if there was fear about radio when it was emerging on the scene that that radio could be this you know, scary instrument. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I think there's at this early period, there's less of that um, kind of uh, lived experience of the kind of uncanniness of radio that you never know what you're going to hear. I mean, you have to we have to remember the early radio was not the sort of um, beautiful, crisp tones that we, you know, think of today. Um, it was like much choppier and, and I'm sure it was probably even easier to imagine that, oh, where's that voice coming from? Hmm. Hmm, Maybe the beyond. Um, and, uh, so that was definitely, you know, just technologically, it was a different kind of, uh, experience. Um, but that I haven't really come across a lot of, uh, work that, 
thinks about, that worries about uh, radio as the sort of portal to the devil in the same way that, you know, a Ouija board might be or a seance or that kind yeah. of thing, right? Um, or or rock is. music. Well, I mean, radio yeah. radio's I mean, more th- of a blank some slate. Things that, right? Yeah, some things, it, it's like, it's there, it's like the content, right? It's like the, um, what you hear could hurt you, that's for sure. Um, but as long as you're listening to the right channel, jazz. you should I be should okay. I should have said jazz music, not rock music, because <laughs> that would have been the... Yeah, I wonder, I wonder why the Ouija board is the portal to the devil <laughs> and the radio isn't. This is this is definitely something well, we need to dig it into. Reminds, <laughs> I mean, it reminds me of um, our uh, Lerone Martin interview recently on Radio Survivor, where where the preachers on wax, the African American preachers who were using using the vinyl as the distribution method for their sermons, um, in some ways as subtext, and in some ways uh, not as subtext as text, were were directly confronting the blues music and the recording artists mm. that that this you know basically the dichotomy was being set up that on the one hand bessie smith represents <laughs> represents the devil and on the other hand um uh, uh i can't remember the the mm-hmm. best the best example of a african-american mm-hmm. preacher from the mm-hmm. 1920s at this moment but they represent they represent i God. think i think most most uh christian groups think that most technologies, maybe not the Ouija board, but most technologies are <laughs> redeemable. Most technologies can be put towards um, spreading the gospel. I mean, Christianity is a profoundly communicative religion, right? It's all about testimony. It's all about storytelling. So that's a, another part of my book is to really think about storytelling and the media through which we, we tell stories and how that matters for the relationships that certain stories can create. Um, and so I make this distinction between stories from the mouth, like a, a st- my kids used to always ask me for stories from the mouth when, when they were going to bed, right? They wanted a story that I told. Mm. I didn't read it from a book. It was a story that I just told and made up, uh, right, you know, on the spot. Um, and there's something about uh, radio that is still a story from the mouth, um, that it still has that kind of, as I was saying before, a kind of intimacy to it. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's something, you know, within Christianity, uh, radio also fits really well with the idea that, you know, when you go to church, you're supposed to sit there and listen to someone speak at you. You know, like a sermon is a kind of story from the mouth. It's got it's underwritten by a, a biblical text and that sort of thing. But um, there's a really strong... Um, sense of orality within Christianity. And I mean, in, in uh, indigenous uh, context, especially in the Northwest Coast, oral storytelling is incredibly important and incredibly, um, there are a lot of protocols around how one tells stories and who gets to tell stories and who gets to, um, who should be around to listen to certain hmm. stories. Uh, so I, like, I, want, I, was, I was trying to put those sort of uh, different kinds of protocols for storytelling and mediation around storytelling into, into conversation with each other and thinking through um, how, how Radio Mind helps us think about those things. Well, Pamela. Oh, yeah, that's a really good point. Pamela Clausen, you're the author of the book Radio Mind about this person, Frederick Duvernay, who ended up being the archbishop there in, in Canada of. Um, of uh, of, of is it the Protestant Church, of the Anglican of Church, the Anglican mm-hmm. Church, and Anglican Church of Canada. So, what you in the states called Episcopalians, and uh, Frederick Duvernay had this idea that he popularized or tried to popularize that <laughs> um, that radio, the technology of radio, which was new on the planet Earth in 1920, was um, was had an, had a, some kind of uh, some kind of overlap with 
with psychic abilities, with people's abilities to communicate um, their thoughts to one another. And what happened to those ideas after Frederick Juvernet was gone? Mm-hmm. Did, did, did they get picked up? I mean, you mentioned a book that was published after mm-hmm. his death, but where did these ideas end up um, other than us talking about them today on Radio Survivor? Right. Um, well, I am glad they landed up in the story of Radio Mind. Um, but uh, they also, I mean, in the, in the more um, short term, uh, my last chapter kind of a- asked that question. And um, interestingly, uh, when he dies, the way that his church um, companions remember him is as a churchman, as a you know important church leader. They say nothing about Radio Mind. They <laughs> say nothing about um, his sort of more unusual theological, uh, spiritual experimentation. We could say mm-hmm. um, they also don't say much about. Um, I mean, well, oh, I guess one of the other really important things uh, that I talk about in the book is how he was a strong critic of um, what were called Indian residential schools. Mm. And these were schools where children were often forcibly taken from their indigenous children were forcibly taken from their families um, to be put into schools that were kind of a um, church run paid for by the state. So kind of church state collaboration um, where they were not allowed to speak their languages. They were often abused physically, emotionally, sometimes sexually. um, And they were terrible spaces. And in fact, Canada has had a, Truth and Reconciliation Commission in yeah. 2015 I mean, to argue, um, talk about this. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's worth putting out there that I've heard arguments that they were genocide, they were genocidal yeah. mm-hmm. institutions that, that, yes. that just, um, just unspeakable horrors. I mean, speakable, yeah. but I, I'm not going to speak on mm-hmm. um, yes. But terrible things happening to these children. And so he was writing letters back to um, government officials in Ottawa and church officials in Toronto saying, like, these are people... Children die here. Parents do not want to send their children wow, to these places. They are terrible. And in in, in 1908, in 1913, okay. and all, all along. And so I try to read, um, to use a fancy word, I try to read his, his letters about residential schools contrapuntally against his, his Radio Mind work to try and figure out, like, he literally, he would write an article about Radio Mind, like, one day, and the next day write one of these letters about residential schools. Mm-hmm. And so, but he never really connects them uh, together Hmm. they're not they're different projects so that's where i'm trying to do the work as a scholar to figure out what's going on here what like how does this story about his his he's unusual in thinking about radio mind and he's unusual in being an anglican cleric who opposes residential schools so um and and what about the i mean i I heard you tell a story today about frederick (laughs) duvernay sort of um i imagine him traveling alone through what is essentially the canadian wilderness (laughs) I mean, it's not very, there aren't very many uh, European settlements, as it were. Uh, is that fair? Like, is he, is, he, is he that adventuresome? That's how he describes it. Yeah. Um, it's a little romantic, he, and I have to watch he, it. And he, he often does sort of romanticize himself. Um, I mean, the indigenous people would not call it the Canadian wilderness. They would call it various indigenous territories yes. in this nation, various places. Um, but he you know, writes about being the first white man down the river, which he wasn't. But, you know, he really... <laughs> so he saw himself um, that way. Yes, uh, the but hero I mean, of the he story. really he really was, uh, you know, walking around um, all over the place until... <laughs> 
uh, he get he has a stroke and becomes quite ill in 1920, mm. which is also when he starts thinking about radio mind. Um, so he can no longer travel uh, across distances, and he starts wanting to communicate across them. Um, uh-huh. So that's a key point in. Uh, in the story of Radio Mind, yeah. that he, um, for parts of the last four years of his life, he's he's largely bedridden, re- reading his books, doing his experiments with his daughter, and writing up um, his results. Uh, so he's it's what I call his sort of late style. He you know at the end of his life he decides to just kind of let it all out there, um, partly because I think he is uh, coming to terms with the fact that that he's mortal. Wow. Um, and radio radio helps with this. Well, Pamela Clausen, uh, thank you so much for being with us today on Radio Survivor. You're a professor of the study of religion at the University of Toronto, and we've been talking about your book, Radio Mind, about Frederick Duvernay. Um, that does it for the, the radio version of the program, but I hope you can join us uh, for further discussion on the podcast because I, I have more I would like to sure. talk about. Great. Well, I should say, though, but thank you so much to the listeners for listening to Radio Survivor, which you could get as a podcast where everywhere podcasts are. If you have any questions or comments today, you can reach out to us. Uh, our email address is podcast at radiosurvivor.com. My name is Eric Glenn on behalf of Jennifer Waits. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Let's end the radio show with the classic commentary from Radio Survivor's own Matthew Lassar. Careful listeners will understand why we're including this old favorite on today's episode. This is Matthew Lassar with Lassar's Letter on Radio History. And if you've been following my Radio Survivor posts, you know that I love songs about radio. This is Rock and Roll Radio. Come on, let's rock and roll with the Ramones. There are so many wonderful songs about radio. We keep making lists of them, but they never end. Here's Jonathan Richmond. One, two, three, four, five, six. Run, 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 run up. Going faster miles an hour. Going to drive past the stop and shop. With the radio on. There's Elvis Costello. I was chilling in the shine of the light night dial. Doing anything my radio advised. With every one of those late There's Donna Summer. Coming. Somebody stop me. Somebody actually did, actually. They asked me what I thought was the first popular song about radio. And at first, I didn't know. But now I think I've found it. It's this. Little broken hearted Sammy on his daddy's knee listening to the radio 
but his heart was aching sore. Seems the angel took his mammy, and he wondered why he sighed. While his daddy fell asleep, Sammy then did creep to the radio and cried. The Victor Company recorded Mr. Radio Man in January of 1924. It's a story of a broken-hearted little boy whose mother dies, and he thinks that somehow the announcer on his radio receiver can get in touch with her up in heaven. Mr. Radio Man, tell my mammy to come back home. Won't you do what you can? Because I'm so lonely. The piece has the typical ensemble we associate with an old acoustic setup a little band of the mid-range instruments that engineers back then preferred for records, a tenor, an English horn, a violin, and a flute, all crowded up to a big acoustic horn. You may think the subject was a little maudlin, but it actually borrowed the theme from even older Gilded Age songs about children calling the telephone company or the telegraph exchange to communicate with deceased parents. These tunes about using electronic media to reach the hereafter were extraordinarily popular. No surprise that an updated version about radio came along in the 1920s. And the reason I'm sighing, crying, I'm all alone. Mr. Radio Man, tell my mammy to come back home. Thank the Library of Congress, by the way, for the recovery of Mr. Radio Man. You should definitely check out the library's national jukebox, which offers this and hundreds of other early recorded tunes online. Could there be an even older song about radio than this? I doubt it, since broadcast radio only came on the scene four years earlier. But you never know. This is Lassar's letter on radio history, promising to keep looking. And thanks for listening to the Radio Survivor podcast. Thanks again, Matthew Lasarzo. If you were, uh, if you need the answer to the riddle, it's that the idea of radio waves being used to speak to those loved ones in the great beyond uh, is in the zeitgeist. It's out there, and in this case, it was the theme used in this very first ever, probably, perhaps, according to historian Matthew Lasar, very first ever pop song mentioning the technology of radio, which was brand new in 1924. Well, thank you again to listening to Radio Survivor. Uh, This was episode number 195, and we referenced a few times episode number 186, which was when we spoke with Lerone Martin about African-American preachers on wax, which was one of our favorite recent episodes about the history of, in this case, how African-American preachers being denied access to the airwaves uh, in comparison to their white counterparts of the time period in the 1920s uh, used the technology of vinyl to uh, spread their message. And that was a really uh, surprisingly fun episode. So this is Radio Survivor, where we talk about our love of radio in all forms and the history of radio as it's gone by, as well as the future of radio. This is a listener-supported enterprise. To learn more, you can go to radiosurvivor.com support. Please subscribe to Radio Survivor wherever you get your podcasts and 
We'll see you again next week, either online or on the radio. And for podcast listeners, here's the rest of that podcast conversation. We had about 10 more minutes of <laughs> of chit-chat because, uh, you know, this is what happens when you talk to someone that you're interested in talking to. There's always new ideas, and uh, that's how this, uh, this interview concludes. Okay, and now the podcast, and now we can stretch our legs. Um, I have a question. Do it. So I know... Um I, I skimmed through your article about the experimentalists and, okay. and and you talk about radio healing. And is that something that that DuVernay was also involved with, was radio healing? Um, I don't think you could say that he set himself up as a radio healer, but he definitely, this is how I first met him because I was writing, writing a book about healing and medicine and stuff. And, and I was reading through these church newspapers, which... Um, I mean, there were a lot of them. They really, church newspapers were the big thing in the 19, 19 mm. uh, early 20th century. Um, and then all of a sudden, I read these very interesting articles by this guy named Frederick Duvernay about um, things like uh, worrying about the um, the cinema and what kinds of effects uh, a movie might have on people. Mm. Um, ah. And he start, starts reflecting on that. And then, you know, by the time uh, I think around 1922 or so, he starts he starts experimenting with this idea of radio mind or spiritual radio. Um, and it can do no wrong. Like there there is no sort of underside to radio mind in the way he writes about it, which is like on the one hand kind of unusual but uh like he's not worried about it at all this is like all good you also can't really i mean if you really think about it if we could all communicate by radio mind and we could know what each other's thinking at all times it would not be good for for the human Mm -hmm. uh, community of any sort but he really did think somehow that that telepathy would be healing it would um like be physically healing but it would also allow to you know allow us to get over class warfare and all kinds of other things so um yes yeah it was you know um what this reminds me of and i wanted to save it for the web only version of this show is i read a book 15 years ago called mutant mind I don't know if you're familiar with Mutant Mind. I've also no. read, I don't know officially if it's been, I read somewhere or someone told me that there's uh, questions about whether Mutant Mind is uh, legitimately, <laughs> is authentically a real a true story or was invented by the author. But the author mm. uh, claims in the book to have uh, been sort of, um, uh, it's not forced. They ended up, they... They were doing Christian missionary work in Australia and were invited in a way that they had difficulty saying no, but weren't entirely sure what was about to happen. They ended up being taken on an extremely long walkabout through the Australian outback with the indigenous Australians. And her story is that uh, somewhere along the line, she learned that they're all telepathically communicating that this mm, that the mm-hmm. that this group of um Australian aboriginals who invited her on this journey to for spiritual reasons um they're all they they're, they everybody in the in the tribal group is talking to each other through their psychic uh communication powers and so it's it's an it's an interesting mm-hmm. <laughs> uh uh open thread 
as far as mm-hmm. how if it relates to the story of Frederick Duvernay and his experiences with Native people in Canada, and whether or not any of it is related at all. But it's it and it's it's well, also whether or not it's related. It, it is definitely the case that in, among many Indigenous communities, there are people who are um, um, considered to be able to. Um, spiritually communicate telepathically and um it's also just funny because it's like it's another open thread and i don't know if it's worth tying up or just leaving untied but like i think about (laughs) i in in preparation for this interview i was just thinking a lot about um the sort of the role of new age thought in community radio i was just recently down in los angeles and listening to the pacifica radio affiliate station KPFK and uh, a lot of the a lot of the content on that radio program is something that I would categorize as as new agey like the um which is a sort of spiritualism if again if I might define it just the way I want to it's it's a very like um it it seems to borrow from more uh non-christian spiritual traditions in a in a sort of hodgepodge way that I wonder if it's not dissimilar to to how Frederick Duvernay sort of adopted some ideas that he was exposed to uh, with the First Nations people that he was interacting with. Right. I just needed to throw that out there. I don't know if it's fair. He's definitely um, he's definitely very creative theologically, mm-hmm. um, but he, he does not himself um, draw upon... Um, what were then already uh, New Age thinkers. Right. Um, I keep doing that. Where nor new does he draw upon... Is older no, than no, the 20s. It, it, well, yeah. New thought. He, and he doesn't draw on new thought. He doesn't draw on spiritualism. Mm-hmm. He does... Um, he, he regularly draws on Paul and uh, and then people who are considered scientists or, or theologians. Like um, he, he loves to draw on this guy, Charles Richet, who um, he kind of has this argument with Charles Richet in the margins of his book. And Charles Richet was a Nobel Prize winning French doctor who um, discovered anaphylaxis uh, <laughs> in the you know, late 19th, early 20th century. Um, goes on to be, become very interested in psychic research and writes a big fat book on psychic research that was happily for me in Frederick Duvernay's library. Um, <laughs> and he comes up with all these interesting ideas, and one of which is he calls rabdic force which is basically the metals inside the earth uh sort of resonate with our human bodies in various kinds of ways and he has a long discussion of of telepathy um Mm. and frederick duvernay writes in the margin i discovered this long ago with my my experiments on radio mind so uh yeah it's pretty amazing stuff um so so there's all these guys that are that are out there thinking about um in in, very, in like overlapping registers, you know, hodgepodge, whatever you want to call it, but overlapping registers between the spiritual, the technological, uh, and uh, the scientific. And I think radio is just a really fabulous um, node or channel for all of those things. When you're, you know, back to your your work on the healers, <laughs> it looked like you were you talked a bit about electricity, and and that's mm-hmm. fascinating to me too. My dad actually wrote a book about medical electricians who were, you know, these quack medical doctors who, who u- utilized electricity in, you know, these contraptions that could supposedly heal anything. Yes. Um, so I don't know if you could talk about that briefly about, you know, how, who were the radio healers who were, and how was electricity being used? 
because it seems like there is a connection there with radio too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think people, when we think about radio healers, we do tend to think about people like um, Amy Sumpton McPherson or people who are sort of evangelists who are really directly connecting uh, healing and faith. Oh, uh, we didn't know that yet about Amy Simple McPherson. And you literally... um, I didn't know she was doing radio healing. She she was not as... She was not the most, like... um, That wasn't the the biggest aspect of what she was up to, but they definitely later on become sort of radio faith healers where you, like, literally want to put your hand on the radio. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. You will be healed, right? Um, There are people who've worked on that. Um, And it's... uh, it is that there. It is. It is a this this idea that somehow um, that healing energy can course through um, the technology um, if you just have enough faith and if you send in your money, yeah, uh, as well. <clears throat> I I have to mention that I again. It's a very strange uh, open thread that doesn't necessarily need to be tied off. But when I was working in Berkeley at a radio job when I was a radio reporter and I would go to city council meetings, um, there was a ongoing controversy over cell phone antennas, speaking of new technology mm. and fears over new technology. <clears throat> and I met somebody who was a, a community member mm. who um, not only were they uh, an activist trying to slow or end the spread of cell phone antennas for health concerns but they when they found out i worked at the radio station they said oh your radio station that upsets me more than you know and she wasn't it wasn't a it wasn't hostility towards me as an individual but apparently the community of um people that she was a part of that believed that there were negative health impacts because of these uh uh, invisible waves right that uh, they were not happy at all about about our radio station either um, and something she mentioned in front of the city council because uh, that was a vague a vague reference to our radio antenna and not being happy about it feeling uh, animosity towards our radio antenna and its ill Im- impacts on her health as she perceived right. it but um, uh, she meant she made a little uh, speech to city council about the uh, yeah the healing properties of the like the way that the hills and the mountains around the Bay Area had a sort of magnetic property and that that all of these waves, you know, basically in a way suggesting that they were God's plan and that we were interfering with it uh, by by building our own antennas and and getting in the way and hurting people. So it's just uh, something I've come across. I'm not sure this ties it up, but I do think it is a uh, response. Um, I think there's, like, on the one hand, there there are these, you know, um, worries about, you know, cell phones. Don't put them up to your heads. I always want my children to take their cell phones far away from their beds. I don't <laughs> want them to sleep with them. Um, and then, you know, I grew up in a suburb with a bunch of power lines running right behind my mm-hmm. house. And then there's, you know, all kinds of worries about what kind of health effects those things have. But And I, I think, you know, you can say, oh, yeah, those are, you know, people have conspiracy theories about this, that, or the other thing. Um, um, but then there also is like there is actually something to on a at a more sort of environmental level like all of the the um, maybe not so much with radio but probably a little bit but especially with our cell phones all of the um, critical minerals all of the you know the actual hardware of our cell phones 
uh, have an effect on the planet, even if it's mm. just the <laughs> mining that ha- yeah. that has to go go on to you know get the um, molybdenum and the cobalt and whatever all the things are that we need uh, to make our cell phones. Yeah, uh, and they're often mined on indigenous land uh, in North American context or in places where um, there's a, you know, a great inequity or people are, are, are laboring uh, in real um, inequitable and often very dangerous uh, situations like yeah. in Africa with various places. I've, so I've so vaguely the, the, read, we need to, I vaguely read we the need argument. to think about the, yeah, sorry. I just think we need to think about the hardware of our technologies as well as their sort of um, communicative properties when we when we think about them, you know, in a broad sense. Yeah, I've, I've read the argument that the um, one of the most uh, uh, severe and and traumatic wars of our lifetime is uh, in Central Africa, Democratic Republic of Congo, mm-hmm. is largely, uh, f- not largely, but partly uh, fueled by the the value of the minerals to our to our computers that, that yeah. are being mined in that country and sort of the uh, it's all it's all it's all part of the world that's a we don't want to end on that point it's too no depressing. gosh no I was, <laughs> I was hoping Jennifer <laughs> would, a lot of bases. I was hoping Jennifer would fill the vacuum with another oh uh, there I mean there are just so many directions um, this was a weird I, episode of Radio Survivor I feel like <laughs> there's so much more I want to explore I I, I was Googling around and I found a Harry Houdini piece about ghosts that talk by radio from 1922. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. So, so okay. that's like a whole other path to take is I think he was debunking, you know, maybe people were using radio yeah. to demonstrate magic. Yeah. Houdini was a skeptic. Um, yeah. He, he, he would likely have been debunking. We could have used Hey, Houdini have you ever done episode? an episode on Upton Sinclair's mental radio? No. So Upton Sinclair, who's, you know, the, yes. Um, muckraping journalist gets you know gets all the stuff out about the um, terrible slaughterhouses in you know, Chicago, all kinds of stuff. Um, in 1930s, he and his wife start doing these experiments with telepathy, and she it, like they're usually one of the things that I think is interesting about Duvernay is when they do these experiments, it's not gendered in the same way that it usually is because huh. it's often the woman who receives the messages and the man sends them out from his very powerful brain. Huh. Uh, they <laughs> right. ha- they had it going uh, backwards and forwards, uh, he and his, his daughter. Sometimes she would send the message, sometimes he would send the message, um, and it wasn't gendered in that way. I mean, he's very gendered in all kinds of other ways, which I talk about in the book, but um, that was not one of the ways. Oh, that Duvernay um, uh, was was happy to receive messages from his daughter. Yeah, he could receive. He did not find it emasculating to receive uh, telepathic messages. But Upton Sinclair um, did? Uh, well, maybe. Upton Sinclair, hard to say, maybe, yeah, but it was definitely his wife was... Um, was was receiving them but then also this third guy gets into the picture who comes and lives with them and also is sending messages and i think receiving them too How it all funny. gets a bit weird have you, are you, but are you familiar the book with is called um, mental radio are you familiar with the mental book? radio yeah we should check that are you familiar with the book phenomena by uh by annie jacobson no I, annie jacobson writes for the la times and I've, I've very much enjoyed their books, but I am I have difficulty between skepticism and belief, and so uh, I like I like to sort of outsource my my true skepticism to to to, to stronger skeptics. <laughs> but because mm. this is a book uh, that is about um, 
the government study of psychic phenomenon, especially in the oh. post Cold War period or the Cold mm-hmm. War period. Mm-hmm. And it's a mm-hmm. so it sounds a lot like uh, Frederick Duvernay's experiments. Uh, quote, you know, air quotes, uh, mm-hmm, reminded mm-hmm. me a lot of the kinds of experiments that uh, that Annie Jacobson wrote wrote about in the book Phenomena. It's and it's all um, it's all part of the yeah part of the government Cold War spying program. There's probably right. an X Files episode that we need to dig up. Definitely, yeah. Yes, we've, we've, I'm we've, sure. we've stumbled into X Files again. We keep doing. I, that. I think you could also you could also do something on contact. I right. think there's something one. about Jodie Foster and those radios and and uh, that yeah, space. would be good to think about. Um, cool. Well, we should probably <laughs> we should probably let you go at this point. We should do a sure. three hour podcast I, and see. I could can... I could talk all night. It turns out uh, with the people of Radio Survivor, yeah. <laughs> we could um, just we could continue this telepathically. Right. That sounds great. I do. Well, <laughs> it's um, a beautiful day here, so thank, let's do that. Thank you so much, Pamela Clausen. Yeah, thanks you so much. You are very welcome.